Very good evening to you and a warm welcome to St John's Downshire Hill this evening. Um, we are delighted to welcome Andrew Satch, um, who is uh, joining me here on the screen. And uh, Andrew is the uh, one of the ministers of Grace Church uh, in Greenwich. And uh, you can uh, tell us a bit more about yourself, Andrew, and uh, your uh, background and things. Hey, good to be with you. Um, I can only see Tom, but I think there's some other people on YouTube unseen by me. But thanks for tuning in tonight. Um, I'm sitting pretty much on the Greenwich Meridian line right now. So that's my claim to fame is that the East meets West line runs through my house and through my bedroom. And I reckon if I sit exactly here, then about half of me is in the Eastern Hemisphere and half's in the West. Um, what do you want to know about me, Tom? Well, tell us a bit about your background, your interest in uh, science and uh, how you came to be a Christian. Um, okay, so well, I started getting into science at school um, because, well, my stepbrother and I made an explosives factory in my parents' garage, which is the sort of thing nowadays that would get you on a GCHQ sort of monitoring watch list. But um, back in the 1980s, that was just fun. And my, my stepfather was a scientist and he had all these stories of chemicals he used to make when he was a child, and we tried to make the same things. So the thing I most wanted to make was a substance called nitrogen triiodide, which is so unstable when it's dry that it explodes on touch. And my stepfather had stories of spreading some of this thinly on the windowsill and waiting for the cat, and it would tread on it, and then bang, and a big puff of purple smoke. So we were desperate to make this and various other explosive things. So I went off to Cambridge to study well, initially chemistry, natural sciences, but I did mainly chemistry. And then the chemistry was too difficult by the time I was wrestling with quantum mechanics. So by the third year, I'd switched to neuroscience and I went on to do a PhD um, in that. Um, but also by the time I finished university, I'd gone from being an atheist to being a Christian. So it was a time of lots of changes for me. Okay. And um, just tell us then how that uh, change came about for you. Um, well, it's, it was a process, but I think it started because I met some Christians at university who didn't fit my stereotype of religious people. So um, I wouldn't have put it this rudely to their face, but I basically thought that Christians were gullible hypocrites. I'm gullible because I'd not heard good reasons why I should believe it. And hypocrites because I read the papers and I knew about the scandals in the church. And so I just dismissed it really until I met some people in my first year at university who were Christians and they weren't gullible. I mean, they really had thought it through. They had reasons for what they believed, which was a surprise to me. And they weren't hypocrites. So they, they said that they wanted to follow the Lord Jesus. And it really did change the way that they behaved in quite an extraordinary way. And it got my attention. And that didn't mean it was true, but it meant it couldn't be dismissed so easily. So I started sort of thinking about it for the first time. Um, one of the things they said to me, which is sort of now enormously obvious, but just wasn't obvious to me as an 18 year old, was that Jesus was a real historical person. And that meant that certain questions about him were objective things rather than just a matter of opinion. So, um, you know, when it comes to flavors of ice cream, I might think that vanilla is the best and you might think chocolate is the best and we can both be right. But when it comes to the Battle of Hastings, if you say it was in 1166, you're just wrong and you're going to fail your history GCSE. You know, so historical things either happened or they didn't happen. And I just realized that if Jesus was historical, he was in that kind of category. So 
who was he actually? I mean, did he exist? And if he did exist, did he die on a cross? And if he did die on a cross, did he come back from the dead? And if he did come back from the dead, that was true or false, independent of my opinion about it. Hmm. And I wanted to know whether it was really true. So it, it became a sort of checkable historical factual question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you can ask me more about this, but I became convinced that it was true. It really did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'd think that meant that I'd become a Christian, but actually I didn't because the second thing was I, I thought, okay, this is probably true, but I didn't want it to be true because I thought that following Jesus would wreck my life. And I just had this fear that being a Christian would be to be grey and boring and anti-fun. Um, in fact, one of my friends was commenting recently on Jesus' miracle when he turned water into wine at a wedding. And he said this was a great surprise to him. Not that Jesus was able to perform the various miraculous chemistry, you know, because um, H2O to C2H5OH doesn't go. And that's ignoring all of the complex wine chemistry of vanillins and tannins and so on. That wasn't the thing that surprised him. He was surprised by the fact that if Jesus had that kind of power, he wouldn't go around turning wine into water. Because his suspicion about God was that God's greatest fear was that somebody somewhere might be enjoying themselves and he had to stamp it out. So I think that was my sort of that was my fear about Christianity. So I thought it's probably true. I don't want it to be true. And the final thing that convinced me was that Jesus wasn't just true factually, but he's also good and he loved me and I could trust him with my life. And that was the final step. So yeah, that was in my first year at university, which is quite a long time ago. I'm now 45 years old. I can't do the maths, but it's quite a while ago. (laughs) Okay. So um, let me just say to those who are watching on YouTube, um, hello and uh, welcome uh, if you've joined us since the start. And um, I'm Tom. I'm Tom Watts. I'm the minister of St. John's Downshire Hill. I'm talking to Andrew Satch, um, who uh, has introduced himself. We're talking about science and God, and we're going to be talking a little bit about COVID-19 as well. And if you have a question that arises from what you hear, um, whether it's just probing a bit more deeply into something or whether it's something that we haven't raised that you would like to hear answered in this area, please do put it in the chat and um, uh, you can find that on YouTube. So if you're watching this on a TV or something, you might struggle to see the chat. But if you go and look on a phone or on your computer, you'll see the live chat um, kind of there next to where you're watching. And you can type in a question there and uh, we'll take those as they come. I've got plenty of questions, plenty of things to ask Andrew. So we're going to get going some things now. So um, let's think a bit about the the current situation and um, COVID-19, which is affecting all of us in different ways. We see scientists... um, science the profile of scientists has been massively raised you know even more than ever through this crisis we see uh, you know often have the scientists standing next to the minister whoever it is at the daily briefing in number 10 um we want you know we 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 want to hear about the science well i mean from uh, from your point of view what do you make of that and um uh, you know to what extent can we look to science to save us in a time like this um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very grateful for science. I think it's a powerful thing and it's done lots of good um, in the society. It's also enables us to do lots of harm. You know, we can kill more people with explosives than we used to be out here with atomic bombs, but we can also um, rescue people from all kinds of cancers and maybe 
one day we'll get the um, the vaccine or the treatment for coronavirus. So science is great. Um, and certainly belief in God doesn't mean you don't want doctors or scientists, just like believing in God doesn't mean you don't want farmers. I mean, we, um, God's given us the ability to grow food, to eat, to keep ourselves alive. He's given us, um, uh, he's given us policemen to stop people stabbing us in the streets. He's given us doctors to treat us when we're ill. And I think you know, I'm, I'm as grateful for that as, as the next person is. Um, and I hope when I'm ill, I'll be go, go to hospital and I hope they've got some treatments to help me. So medicine's great. Um, but I don't think it can save us if we mean sort out all the problems of our human situation. Um, so science can't solve the problem of racial equality, for example, and science can't save the problem of death. So we might be able to stop people dying as young or we might be able to stop people dying of a particular virus, but we won't stop people dying. And the Bible says even the fact that we die is, is a problem. It's not supposed to be that way, um, let alone the problems of um, division in society, the problems of guilt and evil and all of these things. And science can help with some of them, but it can't help the whole thing. And um, Jesus says that he can heal us of death and he can even raise the dead. And no scientist has ever claimed that. Um, and if they did they we'd laugh at them you know there's no evidence they can do that but there is evidence that jesus can do that so um science and jesus please but i'm certainly not saying if you're a christian you don't need to bother to go to the doctor it's a good thing to go to the doctor <laughs> okay and i mean i guess a lot of people would say yeah but you know come on so, you know on the one hand you've got science which deals in facts and it deals in truth and it deals in things you can be sure about. And on the other hand, you've got religion, which deals in opinion and frankly is, you know, you can't prove any of it. And, uh, and actually, do you know what? It divides us and it causes us to argue with each other. And, and science is surely the thing that's gonna bring us together as human beings and um, solve, you know, is where our hope needs to be in the future. Um, oh, there's a few different things there. So. Um, is religion divisive? Uh, is religion just opinion? Um, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, that my big discovery about Jesus was he was a real person in history. And that meant it wasn't a matter of opinion. I mean, people can have different opinions about it, but some opinions will be right and some opinions will be wrong. So if I say Jesus died on a cross um, just outside Jerusalem to save us from our sins, and a Muslim friend says, Jesus didn't die on the cross and Muslims don't believe that Jesus died in that way. Then the one thing that's absolutely certain is we're not both right. I mean, he either died on the cross or he didn't die on the cross, but not both. They're mutually exclusive. Um, and if I say Jesus raised from the dead and um, three days later, and an atheist says Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then one of us is wrong. So it's, it's an objective thing. And it's uh, an objective thing that involves facts and eyewitnesses and evidence um, now you might say oh it's not scientific evidence because we can't do the forensics and I mean it's true that we can't do the forensics though people at the time could in fact they had even better than forensic evidence because they met Jesus after he died and they could check by touching him giving him food that he ate and so on so this is you know this is even better than checking someone's pulse is having a conversation with them and touching them mm -hmm. so I, th I think it is it is in the realm of facts and evidence um 
in terms of science, I think sometimes people talk as though science was the automatically the property of the atheist. So the sort of science equals atheism on one side, and then there's belief in things without evidence, which we call faith on the other side. And I, I really deny that description of it. I think science is just a way of finding out things about the world that all of us can use. So saying science belongs to the atheist is like saying food belongs to the Hindu. I mean, all of us can eat food and all of us can do science. And in fact, lots of scientists are Hindus and lots of scientists are Christians and lots of scientists are, are atheists. So it's not the case that science is automatically on the side of one ideology. Science is just a way of finding things out about the world. So you observe the world, you try and describe what you observe with a hypothesis, and then you try to test that hypothesis with experiments. And it's quite powerful and it's found out lots of things, but it doesn't by itself then answer questions like, um, so is this world made by a, a God who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us? Or did this world came back by accident? Science will give you evidence about the world and then you've got to try and fit it into one of these views. And it seems to me, the more I understand about science, the more it favors Christianity over atheism. So just for example, um, the Big Bang Theory is a real problem for an atheist. Or it was when it was discovered, it was a real, real headache for the atheist and really good news for the Christian. So um, the atheists used to think that the world was eternal. It just always been here. Matter was, until relatively recently, people thought the matter had been around forever. And so if it had been around forever, you didn't really have to explain where it came from. Whereas if the universe has a beginning in time, a big bang then the obvious question is what made the big bang go bang and a christian says well god made the big bang go bang because our bibles have always told us that in the beginning god made the heavens and the earth so mm -hmm. science now agrees with the bible whereas the atheist has got to go how can something come from nothing without a cause and it's a problem so that's just an example of something science shows us that fits quite well with the bible and doesn't fit very well with atheism and i you know i could multiply examples the more we discover about so my own research was on um, brain mechanisms in human hearing and how we decode sound. And it's amazing. And you know, there's all sorts of incredible things that happen. And I, the more I look at it, I think this is really consistent with the idea that there's a God who designed the world brilliantly. And an atheist has to say this is consistent with everything getting very lucky because you know, we're here by, by sheer chance. Mm. And again, I think the more you find out about the science, the more it favours there's a God who put this together rather than it's an accident. So science is just telling you data, but the atheist and the Christian are both coming to the data and trying to conclude something from it. Mm. So, I mean, I guess, um, you know, you've, you've brought up creation there. Um, and I guess people would go, hang on a minute, you know, you Christians, um, your Bible says the world was made in six days beginning of genesis uh you know you don't want to go there do you christians you ought to be keeping quiet about that um you know what evolution what, what, what how can you what would you say in response to that oh yeah i think i think i really do want to go there because i think the christian narrative of creation that we're here with a reason because of a god who made it happen is rational and coherent and I think the atheist answer that we're here without a reason and everything that we experience is essentially boils down to chance isn't coherent and isn't rational. And I could just, I could um, explain that in all sorts of ways. I mean, for example, um, well, as I said already, changes in 
something doesn't happen without a cause for it happening. And if there didn't used to be a universe and now there is, something must have caused that. And the Christian says, God caused it. And he says, I don't know what caused it. Um, a Christian says, I'm a rational being because I was made in the image of a rational God. The atheist says, I'm a random being. And if my brain is just evolved randomly to ensure its own survival, why should I trust that my brain converges on things that are true? It just wants to converge on things that are surviving. So I shouldn't even really trust my thoughts. My, my thoughts are only the movement of electrons randomly around a randomly assembled collection of atoms. Um, if we are just atoms, why do we care about racism? I mean, why should we be equal? Because um, if we're here just by evolution and black people and white people have evolved slightly differently, then why shouldn't one get the better, the better upper hand over the other in a survival of the fittest kind of way? I mean, I, I think that is deeply wrong. And you listening to this will think that's deeply wrong. But why? I mean, the atheist hasn't got a reason for why. The Christian does have a reason for why, because God made human beings in his image with incredible intrinsic value. And he made us black and white and Asian and, and so on. So lots of things that we sort of instinctively live by are grounded in the, the Christian narrative of a God who made us and unravel if you think we're here by accident. Um, in terms of the, the world being made in six days, I mean, that, this is a, a question where Christians will take different views. And I guess people watching this YouTube video might have different views. So some, some Christians say um, God made the world in six 24 hour days and it has the appearance of of age but we got some of the science wrong um, that's one one line to take other christians say no we pretty much agree with mainstream scientific dating the the universe is millions of years old and um uh, the earth has been around a long time and instead they would say that the the days of genesis chapter one are a kind of poetic um introduction to the bible in which they're not trying to tell you how long it took. Um, it's a kind of symbolic way of speaking, but it's trying to tell you that God carefully ordered everything. And there's some good reasons for that. So, for example, the sun is made on um, day four in the days of creation. And yet um, what we mean by a day, astronomically speaking, is the Earth rotating on its axis once relative to the position of the sun which didn't exist for the first three days. So I think there's just clues there that this isn't trying to explain things in terms of how we experience days, but it's a way of saying God's behind the universe. And it's kind of like God's working week. You know, what did you achieve this week? Not very much in lockdown, just looked at my laptop and tried to smile at the web camera. What did God achieve in a week? Oh, he made the universe. Is that, is that sort of, that's the sort of message it's conveying. Okay, thank you. Well, I mean, if people want to come back on that, please do, um, put a question in the chat and we can explore that a bit more i mean let's let, oh, let, can i just can yeah. i just say one extra thing about evolution because yeah. i think sometimes people come up with evolution as if it's the one word answer to the problem of design and complexity in the world they say you know you say god made as i just say evolution and that silence is a christian in one word and i don't think that works so even to have evolution in the first place you first have to have an information carrying self-replicating molecule like RNA or DNA, um, which is one of the most complex chemicals known to science. And the RNA has to contain on it the information encoded in those genetic letters um, to build the, even the simplest self-replicating cell, 
which is enormously, enormously complex. So even before you can have evolution, there's a whole load of stuff that you've got to have first that there's really no satisfactory explanation of what might be there randomly. Whereas the idea that God would design a phenomenally complicated um, genetic mechanism, which is really like a computer, I think, yeah, that it fits with there being quite an intelligent God who did this. Mm. Again, it doesn't fit. So even evolution itself makes sense within a created world and doesn't make much sense in a random world. And, and you know, on that, um, I mean, pe- people sometimes go, yeah, but um, we wouldn't be here to observe that unless we had evolved to the point where we could observe this. What do you make of that? Yeah, right. So that's something called the anthropic principle. And the idea is if the universe hadn't got lucky enough to make me exist, I wouldn't be asking why, why did it get lucky enough for me to exist? Therefore I shouldn't ask the question. And my favorite reply to it is a bit of a cheeky one, but it's by John Lennox. who's a professor of maths in Oxford and a, and a Christian and has written very helpfully on some of these things, but he's, it's a bit like saying if there's a firing squad, and you were sentenced to death and there were 20 crack riflemen all pointing their barrels at you and the sergeant major says ready aim fire and they all miss and then you don't bother to ask why because you say well i wouldn't be here asking why if they hadn't missed so because they do i don't need to ask the question i mean you know like i, I just don't really i don't buy it it's pretty surprising we're here isn't it um and to not to tell yourself i'm not supposed to be curious about that i think it's just an opt-out okay yeah thank you Let's uh, let's try and um, explore this. You, we, we, uh, a, a few minutes ago, we talked about the rationality of um, science, and I guess a lot of people would say Christianity is, you know, inherently irrational. I mean, you've pointed to some of the the the, the well, the fact that at the heart of Christian faith, there are some some historical facts and evidence and things that were scientifically observed at the time people touched and felt and smelt and reported that um, in the gospels and that kind of thing um i mean just let's just push this a bit more i I think a lot of people would still want to say you know at some level christian faith and religion in general requires you to exercise some kind of irrational leap of faith that science doesn't require you to to do um you know is is that in there somewhere No, I don't think so. I think it is deeply rational. And the word, one of the problems is just the word faith, because for us, it's become, you know, in our language, faith means a sort of special um, thing that religious people have that that normal people don't have, you know, so, and it's about believing things that you would like to be true without any evidence. And that just isn't what the word means. It just, it just means to trust something. And if you've got any sense, you only trust things that you've got good reason to trust. Um, and the Bible is always giving us reasons to trust it. So I, I can't think of anywhere in the Bible that you're told to believe something without being given a reason why. Now, of course, you can check out those reasons and say, are they good reasons? Do they support the weight of my trust? And I'm suggesting to you, they really do. But you're certainly never asked in the Bible to abandon your reason or to make a decision without reasons. There's always reasons. Um, I think one of the problems says so that something like miracles, you know, I used to think when I was an atheist, I used to think, oh, well, of course, the Bible's nonsense because it contains miracles and they're impossible. But it's a very circular kind of thinking. I wasn't really hadn't really spotted about myself because what I was basically saying was there's no God. The universe is entirely material. It's just matter and chance. And it's governed by the laws of nature. 
and there's no mechanism within the laws of nature and mathematical chance that would make a miracle happen so it didn't happen okay so but actually all i've done is i've smuggled the conclusion in at the start in my premises because i started by saying there's no god and the world's only material okay what if i was wrong about those starting assumptions so what if there is a god and god's extremely powerful and if he wants to he can do a miracle anytime he wants now god doesn't usually do miracles which is why they're miracles because by definition they're very unusual things right if if half the time that someone went fishing they could walk on the water then when Jesus walked in the water, no one would be surprised. They'd just go, oh, that happens half the time. You know, you'd have to revise your law of the displacement of water or something. And if um, sometimes two bread rolls was enough, or five bread rolls was enough to feed 5,000 people, then the feeding of the 5,000 wouldn't have got anyone talking. But because that is never, ever usually enough bread, then a miracle is God messing with the usual laws of science to get our attention. But actually, let me put the way around. I think actually that's exactly what we'd expect, isn't it? Imagine I, I were to say to you, imagine we're not just meeting on YouTube because there could be all sorts of special effects, but we're meeting in real life. Mm -hmm. And I say to you, well, you're lucky to meet me because actually I'm your creator. I made the universe. And you say, really? Like a little bit suspiciously. And um, prove it, please. And I say, oh, no, well, like, I can't prove it because I can't do anything that, you know, you can't do because I'm. And then you'd be like, shut up. And you go and call the um, psychiatric hospital. Where So the claim to be the creator of the universe, wouldn't it be quite surprising if Jesus didn't do some unusual things? Like if he actually made us, if he made the, the stars, um, wouldn't I expect a boat trip to him with him to go a little bit unusually? Mm. So far from miracles being a problem, I now, I now think, well, the miracles are entirely consistent with the claims that Jesus is making. And if there weren't any miracles, then I would be suspicious. But the trouble is sometimes we end up smuggling in our conclusion at the start. And maybe you maybe you're watching this YouTube and you're thinking, I've already decided there's no God. Therefore, I've decided Jesus isn't God. Therefore, this is rubbish. But you've kind of, if I can be really cheeky, you're just expressing a blind faith in an atheistic starting point that is impervious to any other evidence. And I would invite you to think, well, maybe my hypothesis was wrong. Mm. And that actually, that's what science always does, isn't it? You, you come up with a theory. And then when you get data that doesn't fit the theory, you revise the theory. So if your theory is there's no God and you come across the resurrection of Jesus and you think the resurrection of Jesus doesn't fit with my theory that there's no God, you've got two options. You either bury the evidence or you revise your theory. Hmm. And I suggest the more scientific thing to do is to revise your theory. Maybe there is a God. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I've got a question here from the, from the chat. Um, I think getting back we're kind of jumping between questions but getting back to the um the, the the how we've got lucky in the in the world what about the multiverse theory what do you make of that you maybe explain yeah. what, what that is yeah well the idea is that it's way too lucky this universe is way too lucky which i agree with and then you've got two options right so either the numbers aren't random and someone picked them which is what as a christian i think yeah the god designed it very carefully or you've got to have some other explanation for how lucky it got. And one option is, one suggestion is, maybe there's infinitely many universes because um, if you can try the experiment infinitely many times, one of them's going to get lucky. Um, now that that's really interesting as the theory, but and but I want to notice straight away it's not really a scientific theory because um, and this actually this is a point made in a review of M theory in the journal Nature, um, the scientific journal. And the person reviewing it said, well, this isn't a repeatable 
or an observable or a testable theory, which are really the three criteria for, for science. So you could, you could see the data which say this universe is extremely surprising and unlikely. And then you could decide instead of believing in God, I prefer to have faith in the unproven idea of there being infinitely many universes. And yeah, sure, you could do that if you want. Um, but at least as long as you admit that what you're doing is moving from the science to a belief that you've come up with to make sense of it. That's like, I don't mind if you do that because that's what you're saying I'm doing, but now we're both doing that, right? So we're basing evidence and then come up with a theory and your theory is infinite universes and my theory is there's a God. And then you can test those theories. And my, my reason for there being a God isn't just the universe is surprising. It's the universe is surprising in 2000 years ago a man came, he said he was God, he died and rose again. And I think by that point, it's, uh, it clinches it. Um, the multiverse theory, I don't know how you would test it. And it's also pretty strange in some of its implications because it means that not only do you not have to be surprised by the universe being here, but you don't have to be surprised by anything because every possible version of the universe is going to happen somewhere. So as well as the universe where we finished this Zoom call, there's the there's the version where ball lightning appears in my bedroom and vaporizes me now oh no we're not in that version of the universe but if we were you shouldn't be surprised because everything that's happened to you also hasn't happened in every possible combination in the billions and billions of infinitely number of views that there are watching different laptop yeah. screens and different you know i just think it's a faith position it makes a lot less sense it starts getting really crazy Okay, thank you. That's really helpful. Okay, and so I mean, you know, we, we we've emphasized the need to assess, you know, the evidence of Christianity as much as we assess the evidence for anything else. Um, what about? I mean, pushing on Genesis again. Question: What about the flood account, and how does this fit with the conservation of water molecules in the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is great. Thank you for someone who obviously knows a lot about physics. Um, yeah, I mean, there are some miracles. I sometimes chat with Christian friends who are scientists about which miracle is the hardest for God to do, sort of scientifically. And some of them are, you know, amazing, like Jesus coming back from the dead. That's amazing. But it's not maybe as scientifically difficult as, and we reckon this feeding of the 5,000 is pretty difficult because Jesus starts with five bread loaves. He feeds 5,000 people. And then they collect up more leftovers than they started with. So it's the same argument. You know, they end up with more bread. There's more bread molecules at the end than there at the start. So, you know, what, do you, what are you doing? And I, I kind of think, well, it's the same argument, really. If there's a God, he can do whatever he wants. And I quite like the fact that he does really, really hard things. Because otherwise, sometimes Christian, and I've heard people try to explain the miracles away in a sort of scientific way. So, you know, Jesus walked on water because maybe there was a sand bank that no one had ever noticed that was under the, just below the surface or um, that the burning bush at the time of Moses happened because there was a venting of volcanic gas that was on fire, but the bush wasn't on fire. And, you know, people try these ingenious things. And I just love that there's some miracles in the Bible. You just can't do that for, because they're so difficult that they really have, God would have to mess up the physics of the world. And I think, well, why shouldn't he? Mm -hmm. Because, and, and partly it's the problem that we assume that the laws of physics are absolutely inviolable you know you cannot ever change them but we haven't really got a rational reason for saying that it's just an observation that they apply consistently with everything we observe and, and they do they apply very consistently 
But what if all we're looking at is actually the fact that God is consistent in the way that he sustains the universe? Hmm. What if the gravitational constant is something that God chooses and Planck's constant is in his hands? And he just chooses to keep Planck's constant the same, because if he changed it, it causes all sorts of problems. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't change it and make all the other adjustments to everything else in the universe that would be required. And you suddenly get more matter. You think, well, what's going to happen to the gravitational field? But that's the whole point of a miracle. God does something really, really hard to get your attention. But if your view of science is we're just describing the world that God sustains in existence, and the only reason we can make scientific laws is because God sustains the universe very consistently, Hmm. that doesn't mean he can't do it differently if he wanted to. So it's just, it's just, I guess it's the same. I'm making the same argument. Hmm. No, thank you. That's that's really helpful. Um, another question, which I, th- I mean, this is we sort of covered, but um, it says my my friend is convinced he's descended from the monkeys, or at least shares common ancestry with them. I don't think that's the band, the monkeys. I think that's. <laughs> but is he right? That's our generation, Tom. I think most people are thinking, "What is this?" <laughs> is he right? If so, how do you square it with the biblical account? um so we obviously have genetic similarities with other um mammals and in fact even with insects you know the, there's those great statistics of we have 85 percent of dna in common with a ladybird or you know whatever so of course there are some biological templates that are similar in different species um and i think the distinct thing that the bible says clearly is that human beings aren't just the same as other animals there is something um qualitatively different about human being because only of human beings is it said in the bible that we're made in god's image and that is a position of incredible dignity it's not just that i'm an ape that got a little bit further ahead evolutionary and has evolutionarily and that I have deposable thumbs or whatever, and I, ha- or I have language. Or It's not just on a continuum, mm. but there's something special about a human being because we're made to, um, to know God and to relate to him and to be his representatives in the world as the bearers of his image. And then God cared so much about human beings that he became a human being. So Jesus wasn't a sparrow. And there's a reason for that, because it's the, it's the human race that God loves and who are... Um, made his image and he came to save so there's a the bible is very human centered and i guess that would upset some environmentalists they say you know why should our species be special and the bible says it is special that shouldn't be to the harm of the environment because god's given human beings in his image the responsibility to care for the whole of the world and the whole of creation Hmm. but we are especially valuable as human Hmm. beings and again i think that's something that we're starting to we're starting to lose because if we're hit in our society if we become more atheistic we're here just by chance. If we're here just by chance, humans don't have such intrinsic value. Hmm. And you end up with awful things like, you know, um, if I become old and senile, should you terminate me so that I'm not a burden on society? Hmm. Or if someone's born mentally disabled, should you kill them after birth? And you know, frightening, frightening things that hmm. if, if value is located just in how advanced I am rather hmm. than who God's made me to be. But I think God's made every human being to be precious in his sight because of we're image bearers. Thank you. Uh, we're going into the last few minutes, really. So, I mean, if, if, you ha- if you've got a question and you're watching and you haven't put it in the chat, now's your chance. And we might get to one, maybe one more. I've, I mean, I, I, let's take it back to COVID-19. 
Um, Richard Dawkins famously um, talks about how he, he reckons he's got a better explanation for suffering in the world precisely because um, all that's behind the world is blind, pitiless indifference, is his phrase. Um, and I guess some would say, well, that, that is a better explanation for why bad things happen, because there is no explanation. Um, and you Christians, you believe in a God who is, you claim is sovereign and in control and, and loving, and, uh, and yet he's allowing pandemics and much, much worse through human history. How would you answer that? Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. I mean, it's a really good question. It's probably another whole evening, yeah. I guess, just to even scratch the surface of it. But um, I think the first thing to say is if the universe is random numbers, you don't get to ask any questions about it. It's, it doesn't make sense to even ask why. You know, if the, um, it's a bit like saying, you know, why did this person die of cancer? It's like saying, why did I get the, I pressed the random number key on my calculator at school and I got number seven? Why is that? I mean, there isn't a reason. It's just a non-question. And it sort of shuts everything down. Whereas as humans, we are asking why. And I'm not saying this makes Christianity easier because you now it turns the question up. There's a God who's behind it. Then why? But mm. the atheist doesn't even get to ask the question. It's mm, the thing I'd mm, say. Mm, mm, mm. And the second thing, I mean, the Bible gives an account of the world, which I think makes exact sense of what we see. Namely, the world is beautiful and the world is spoiled and actually you get that story just in the first three chapters of the bible so in chapter one god makes the world and it's really good he makes human beings um, in his image it's a wonderful place and by chapter three of the bible the beautiful world has got wrecked and it's fractured and spoiled and relationships are on the rocks and it's all because we've turned our back on the god that made us to know him and the rest of the Bible story, that's just the first three chapters of the Bible. The rest of the Bible is all about how God's going to fix it. Now, I actually think that just those three things to say, God made a good world, it got messed up and we need it to be fixed. I think makes absolute sense of what we observe. So you don't say, oh, um, a black man in uh, Minneapolis was crushed to death by a police officer. But I mean, just random atoms really and the police officer's thoughts were just the moving of electrons around his brain and i don't really care mm. i mean you what if you've seen it or heard about it you are extremely distraught and troubled and think this should not be like this mm. but the atheist can't explain that why shouldn't it it's just random it's just what happened in a corner of a random universe whereas those three trees about the christian view of the world god made the world and it's supposed to be good human beings are valuable but it isn't good you shouldn't be killing people like this on the streets of, of america and yet i desperately want something to be done about to fix it mm. actually is, is precisely the bible's view of the world we're in a mess we need to be rescued mm. and jesus come to rescue us mm. so that we can be reconciled to the god that made us so that the world can be put right and I think that makes sense. So the problem of suffering is it's like a way of saying something is wrong. And the Bible agrees something is wrong. Mm. And COVID-19 says to us, and may, maybe we need the wake up call because we're so successful as a society and so advanced as a, in medicine that we almost thought that we were invincible, didn't we? Like a year ago. Mm. And now the whole world has been brought to its knees medically economically and i guess that's going to come soon isn't it all the job losses and we'll realize that we're very fragile mm. and something is wrong and of course jesus has been saying to us something's wrong and i think it 
Now, what we're seeing in the world just chimes in with the Bible's diagnosis. We've got a problem. We need saving mm. and we need a savior. And mm. the doctors might be able to save us from COVID-19. They won't save us from death mm. and evil um, and violence. But Jesus will. Thank you. We, um, if, if you want to explore that more, you could watch the video from two weeks ago with Jeremy Marshall, where we um, looked into uh, his experiences of suffering with um, incurable cancer and living with that. And he, he gave some perspectives on that as, as well. But it's a big question. As, as you say, we could speak a lot longer on it. OK, I've got I have got one more question before we, we, we round it off. And it actually, it takes us into your specialist subject of neuroscience. So how would you explain to people who say Christians are brainwashed from a neuroscience perspective? YouTube uh, wanted to censor this because it was worried about Christians are brainwashed, I think. So it's asked me to say I'm OK with it, which, which is fine. So, um, you know, neuroscience is the big thing at the moment, isn't it? Everything can be explained by neuroscience, you know, and more and more people are explaining it, all aspects of human behavior by the latest neuroscience. And they might want to say, yeah, but the reason you believe in Jesus is because you've you've been brainwashed in some way can you help us with that um i mean if it the insight for neuroscience is that we are not infinitely rational and that our brains can be deceived and we've got to be careful about what we think and i think again the bible really agrees with that so but that it cuts both ways so how do you know you're not brainwashed to be an atheist and actually i don't some people say oh you're you're Christian because you're born in a Christian country. People used to say that to me. And I cheekily reply, um, you're an atheist because you're born in an atheist country. You know, it, it cuts both ways, this argument. You know, are you just influenced by people around you? Um, I think it's easiest when you go back to the time of Jesus and the people who met him and stake their lives on what they um, reported him to have said and done and think, what was it that convinced them? So Rodent is asking me and my brainwash and you know, probably I'm wrong about some things. Why not go back to the first Christians and say, were they brainwashed? You know, was Jesus a con man who manipulated their psychology so that they all were convinced? Mm. And rather than asking that, I mean, I could give you an answer, but I think the best way to do it is I'd love to invite you to read one of the first century biographies of Jesus, biographies of Jesus and ask and look, look for the answer to that question. So say, People concluded that Jesus was God. I want to know on what basis did they conclude that? Mm. And were they being rational when they concluded that? Mm. And is it possible that they were deceived into concluding that? And by all means, ask those critical questions as you read one of the accounts of what Jesus mm. reportedly said and did. And I, um, that's the thing I just, I'd love you to do it because I'd, I'd never done it. So I've made up my whole mind about Jesus based on, well, not YouTube because the internet wasn't really invented when I was at school, but, um, but just based on Channel 4 documentaries and things like that and hearsay. Um, if you're interested in evidence, look at some of the evidence and evaluate it and just think what convinced them. And I think what convinced them was really persuasive, undeniable facts. And you might suspect, oh, no, they were just gullible. Well, check it out and see how gullible you think they were. That's my challenge to you. Thank you. That, that is, in many ways, is a, is a great note to end on. Um, and we're, actually, we're going to offer people the opportunity to look into these questions a little bit more. We're going to do a short three-week course that we're calling Christianity in a Nutshell from Tuesday, the uh, 30th of June. 
and uh, that's, that's sort of 10 days time, three Tuesday evenings, just exploring some of these big questions that Andrew's been raising. Um, uh, and uh, we, we, if you want to, if you want to know more about that, go onto our website and uh, there's a, there's a button on the front page that says Christianity Explored. Um, click on that and uh, find Christianity in a nutshell. Um, you, you can also uh, send me an email. So tom at sjdh.org. Just send me a one-line email that says you're interested in this. Can I have more details? No, you know, I'll, I, no commitment. Um, just uh, at this stage, just, just I'll send you the details. Um, it'd be great to hear from you. Um, I mean, Andrew, just to sort of, you know, 30 seconds, um, you know, we, we all remember chemistry at school and we, we, we're sort of, you know, it was interesting at the time, maybe for some of us, we've forgotten most of it now. Uh, a lot of people think these things don't really, you know, science for many isn't all actually all that interesting or important. <laughs> what, um, what, is Christianity different? You know, what, what, where's the urgency? Why, why does this matter? Oh, it, I mean, it just matters in so many ways. I mean, if you care about life and death, it matters because Jesus says he's got the answer to death. If you care about good and evil, it matters because Jesus says he's got the solution to evil. Um, if you care about racial inequality, it matters because Jesus says he's got the key to the unity of the human race. I mean, just in every level, it matters. Um, but ultimately, I think it's not just about, is this true? And what I said right at the start, I used to think, well, firstly, I thought it was just wishful thinking. Then I thought this is a true false question. And I thought it's true. And then I thought the question is, can I trust Jesus to not direct my life? And Jesus isn't just offering us some facts, although he is offering us facts. He's offering us a relationship with a God who loves us and is good and wants life and, um, and liberty and unity and everything that we long for and so it my testimony personally is it, it's been a really good thing to follow jesus and he's been very trustworthy and my life didn't get wrecked and he doesn't go around turning wine into water and it'd be a really good idea to follow him so but obviously that's only true if it's based on the facts by all means check out the facts but what we're being offered is a relationship with a living god who made us and loves us thank you so tom at sjdh.org um, or go to our website, sjdh.org, Christianity in a Nutshell, Tuesday, the 30th of June. We're also, this was our third of uh, four COVID conversations, um, and you can catch the other ones on YouTube where you are right now. Um, and in a, in a week's time, we're going to have our fourth and final one. And uh, that is going to be on the subject of race, racism, COVID, and Christ. And this is obviously a big question for us in our culture at the moment. Um, and uh, I'm delighted to be able to uh, be interviewing Andrew Barnett from London City Mission. Um, and his day job is working with people who live in the area around uh, the Grenfell Tower in West London. So um, we are going to be hearing his experiences, um, his experience as a person of colour growing up in this country and, um, uh, and his thoughts as a Christian on race, racism, COVID and Christ. So do join us a week's time, eight o'clock Thursday next week, same place here. And uh, we will be um, delighted to see you then. Um, meanwhile, thanks for joining us this evening and uh, goodbye. Thanks and thank you to Andrew for, for joining thanks, us. Tom. It's been nice brilliant. To see you and the, 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 there's so much thanks in the chat as well. I think people have really appreciated it. So 
great to see you, Andrew. And, Thank uh, you. See you soon, everyone. Bye-bye.